0: I know that nobody wants to talk about it, but we suffer a lot of racism, we suffer a lot of colorism amongst
1: ourselves. That's artist and Afro-Latina, Amara La Negra putting Latinx folks on blast for all the racist comments she's heard over the years.
0: Somebody needs to say something. Like, are we just gonna keep hearing it and not do anything about it?
1: Diana
2: de los Santos is her real name. Mara La Negra, that's her stage name. It means love the black woman.
1: She was the breakout star on VH1's show Love and Hip Hop Miami. The reality show follows the lives of artists and music industry folks as they break in. Come back and cross over.
2: And when Amara Negra is not singing or dancing or acting, she's busy calling out anti-blackness.
1: This is Code Switch. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji, and I'm
2: Gene Demby. How you feeling, homie?
1: I'm a little sick this week. You're going to be hearing it in my voice.
2: It's raspy, though I like it.
1: <laughs> I wish I could keep it like this, actually. Although it's hard to say things in Spanish with my voice like this and being all sick. I don't know. I I find that difficult. Anyway, we're talking about Marla Negra, who I actually didn't know who she was at all until this guy brought her to my attention.
2: My name is Justin Richmond, and I'm a producer on Morning Edition.
1: I work with Justin out here at NPR West on the Best Coast. And one morning, he came over to my desk.
2: And you were busy, and you didn't want to hear it from me like usual. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, Shireen, just stop. I know you. I know. I know you're busy. Just stop, stop. Go to YouTube. Put on the Breakfast Club. Amara Negra. Quick mm-hmm. Explanatory sorry, Uh The Breakfast Club uh, is a morning show. is recorded out of New York City on Power 105 FM.
1: The hosts are DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the God, and they interview celebrities who are connected in some way to hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. And
2: they tend to stir up a lot
1: of ish.
3: <laughs> Morning everybody It's
2: DJ NV, Angela Yee Charlemagne the guy We are The Breakfast Club We got a special guest In the building From Love and Hip Hop Miami Amara La Negra Oh Amada that was hey. La Negra it, Yes you got, got it, it You got it, got got it. it. Oh man I'm excited
0: that. I'm so excited to be here I have to say it um, I've seen so many Huge artists that I admire Sitting in the same seat And I'm like oh my god I can't believe I'm here I thought I had to have, like At least 50 hits Before sitting here
1: But I'm excited So thank you for having me here today. You're
2: welcome what, what, what are you? Huh? Like race wise.
1: That was Charlemagne <laughs> starting out the interview so gracefully with Amada by asking, What are you? GD, you know that's one of my personal favorites. It's one of your favorites. What are you? <laughs> then he adds, like race wise.
2: That story absolutely checks out. That's so Charlemagne.
1: Uh yeah. So Justin felt like Charlamagne was being super disrespectful mm-hmm. in various ways. And if you know Charlamagne, you know what I'm talking about. Throughout that interview, and it just really made Justin uncomfortable.
2: It just seems like we should have respect for other people, other cultures, and the way other people identify. And so that just felt very, like, weird to me. And as the interview progressed, and she started explaining other issues, too, like that she's not only having with the black American community, but that she's having with the Latino community, the colorism that exists. I'm always trying to think about what Shireen going to like. So I'm like, yo, this is this is Shireen's story right here. That's how it happened.
1: <laughs> Big thanks to Justin Richmond for that story pitch. Uh, after I watched that Breakfast Club interview, GD, I went down the internet rabbit hole and realized that I've actually been dancing to Amar la Negra's 2012 hit, I, for years now.
0: Soy Amar la negra. Los chicos me caen atrás. No sé
2: All right, just explain to the listener, Shireen, how you've been dancing to her music all this time and didn't know it was her.
1: If people follow me on Twitter, they know I love Zumba. <laughs> <laughs> I love Zumba Get so it. much. Get it how you live. And, um, yeah, and Zumba instructors love this song. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's very Zumba friendly. So, yeah, this whole time I've been doing little dances to I and I didn't even know that it was Amara La Negra.
2: So all this time, Amara La Negra has been in your life. I wish she'd been in my life. (laughs) Uh, You and Amara La Negra are going to talk about her life Mm -hmm. and her career and that Breakfast Club interview and what it's like trying to be a celebrity when you are Afro-Latina.
0: You're too negra, you're too black to be Latina, or you're too Latina to be black, or your hair is too nappy, you know, you need to be more petite, more skinny, more slim, long legs, skinny, don't do it's your accent, it's everything,
1: stay with us.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Masterclass, producing online classes taught by masters of their craft. Each class is shot with cinematic production quality and offers on-demand lessons loaded with exclusive content. Classes include Gordon Ramsey teaches cooking, Annie Leibovitz teaches photography, Steph Curry teaches basketball, and more. Code Switch listeners can unlock every class with the new all-access pass. Available now at masterclass.com slash switch.
1: Hi, I'm Guy Raz. And I'm Mindy Thomas. And together, we bring you Wow in the World, NPR's podcast for families.
3: Every week, we explore wild and new scientific discoveries. We
0: also ride a bird. We
3: also ride a bird.
0: Find Wow in the World on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Jean. Shereen. Switch. Hey, guys. My name is Amara La Negra. I am an... Artist, I am Dominican. I was born and raised in Miami, but um, but I'm an artist. I sing, I dance, I act. I do a little bit of everything. I call myself a todo guy. I do everything. <laughs> Whatever I don't know, I'm always willing to learn. Um, I don't know what else is it that, that you was know, good. That just was my it. check. No, just the,
1: yeah, my check-in. I like to use it sometimes. Oh, okay. I think it's fun.
2: Flight three o five to Miami is now boarding. <laughs>
1: Amara La Negra, the bilingual daughter of a Dominican immigrant who reps Hialeah. GD, what do you know about Hialeah?
2: Literally not a damn thing. What is that, like a Hawaiian island or something?
1: I was born and raised in Miami. Okay. Um,
0: and In Miami, there's an area called Hialeah where there's a lot of Latinos. It's very cha-cha, as they yes. call it. And then I grew up in Hialeah.
1: I know it's like 96% Latino, mostly Cuban, actually. Yes. Is there a story from growing up that for you encapsulates... Hialeah.
0: Well, me growing up, I remember that, um, you know, Hialeah is the type of place where you'll find. Cuban music all over the place and cortaditos and empanadas and croquetas and Cuban coffee. And then there's the the ladies with the rollers in her hair and they're selling flowers in the streets. And, and it's just very Latino. And it's not just Cuban. Obviously, there's more Cubans than anything. But there's Dominicans and there's Colombians and there's the Venezuelans. And there's a little bit of everything. So I definitely remember listening to a lot of music. It's very loud. And it's mm-hmm. it's very like the ones that are like
1: outside the window screaming, Hey, mm-hmm. pass me some sugar! Type of thing. Yeah, I love it. So Amada was raised in Hialeah by a single mom, Ana Maria, her biggest cheerleader, her biggest fan, and Ana Maria is a big part of Amada's storyline on Love and Hip Hop Miami.
0: I may have big dreams, but her dreams for me are even bigger. Yo quiero ver
1: una estrella en el piso, en la calle, para
0: ti el paseo de la fama. Oh, Amen. I know, Mom. I really want to be able to make you proud. It's not just about me. No, la madre del triunfo mío. It's
1: about us.
2: Real quick, um, Shereen. What, yeah. What's her mom saying though?
1: That she wants Amara to have a star, you know, on the sidewalk, on, on the Walk of Fame. I'm assuming the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
2: Oh, uh, got it. Oh, Immigrant parents, you know what I mean?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. You know how it is. We sacrifice everything, so you better be the best ever. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Seriously, though, I love that her mom's a part of the show. Me too. I know this is reality TV, and it's totally over the top, but the way that Amada interacts with her mom on the show, it's, I find it really touching. Her mom speaks Spanish, and then Amada speaks back to her in Spanish and English and Spanglish, and it feels really true to the lives that uh, many of us kids of immigrants or kids of parents from another country experience. So.
2: Her mom still holding it down.
1: You always was the black queen, mama. Your mom is obviously very important to you, but. Extremely. Can you tell? And she's been here for over 20 years, 30 years. 30 years. Can you talk about why she emigrated? to the United States? What's her story?
0: I think that everybody pretty much immigrates to the United States looking for the American dream. You know, you're you're in your country struggling and I admire her for having the guts to actually say, I'm going to leave. She didn't leave with any family. She just left by herself. She crossed the Mexican border mm. and um, just that journey alone really talks about your strength and your courage. Yeah. And she did it and she made it to the United States and ever ever since, you know, she obviously lived a little bit in Texas, and she had to travel through. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, she she lived in, in different states for a little bit, till she finally ended up being in Miami where it became home because she felt it was very Latino, and, and mm. it was just more Caribbean, and it was just perfect for her. And I'm grateful because then I was born in Miami. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> Your mom and you have, like, this super tight
0: relationship. It's yes. just the two of you. It's the two of us against the world type of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, my mom comes with me everywhere. If I go to the strip club, if I go to a club, if I go to the beach, if I go on a... I could go on a date and be like, you know what? I feel like bringing my mom. Mom, are you hungry? Yeah, this guy wants to take me out. Yeah, all right, let's go. And then that's it. It's either you take it or leave it. You don't like my mama.
1: I don't like you either. (laughs) So, No. Ah, uh, what does your mom do? You said that she, because I was watching one of the episodes and yes. you said that she had burned herself in the kitchen. I was like, does she cook? Like, what my mom's she... a cook. Okay.
0: My mom's a cook. My mom's been cooking all her life. Before, you know, she used to clean houses and I would go and I would clean houses with my mom. I'm not ashamed to say it. My mom used to sell flowers in the corners of the streets and I would sit there and protect the flowers. And I was there, you know, was, like mm-hmm. I said, was me and my mom against the world and I would never leave her. I grew up without any brothers or sisters or a grandmother or grand... Like, I don't know what it is to have any of that, but I know what it is to have a good mother. So, you know, me growing up, she always saw that I was very charismatic and I was mm-hmm. very sassy. And I told her, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a superstar and I'm going to be a superstar. So that and came from you. That came from me. And I was just so confident about it. And I would model everywhere and I would sing everywhere and I would put my teddy bears and I would sing to them. And she saw that I was really taking it serious. Like, this is really what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. So instead of telling me no, she said, well, if this is what you want to do. I'm going to support you and I'm going to get another job. And she got a part time job besides mm-hmm. her full time job. She got an extra job to be able just to pay for my singing classes and dancing classes and, mm-hmm. you know, our competition outfits. All those things are ve- this career is very expensive. Yeah. So she did that just to support me. And that's why I'm so grateful, because I know that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to have somebody to support
1: them the way that my mom did. At four, Amada gets her first big break.
2: So precocious. Four years old?
1: Yes, on the longest-running variety show in TV history, hosted by Don Francisco. Any guesses?
2: Sabado Gigante! Sa, sa, sa,
1: sa, sabado gigante! That show totally reminds me of my childhood, Gene. My grandparents had it on every Saturday without fail. I will
2: only see it in passing, but and I don't know what people were saying on *El the, the Gigante*, but it always felt like that show was on for like five hours at a time.
1: I think it might have been. And then on Sunday, there was a totally different variety show I remember watching called Siempre en Domingo. Oh, my God. It's so hard to speak Spanish when you feel sick. Shout out to those of us who remember Siempre en Domingo anyway.
2: So much happened on those shows. It was dancing. So and it was like much. comedy bits. It's like, yo, these hosts better get the electrolytes. You know what I mean? And
1: on Sabado Gigante, kids were always a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. And when Amara was four, there was an open competition to be one of those regular kids. I went to this competition. I won. And then because I was so
0: sassy, Don Francisco at the time said, oh my God, we would love to have her in this segment that we have where the children talk. It was like a little talk thing for kids. Mm-hmm. And I was there for six years every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Then I ended up being a backup dancer for, for the TV station. A whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So I'm just grateful for that.
1: I mean, one of your, I mean, your main storyline here in Love & Hip Hop is your Afro-Latina. Yes. And they're are a lot of struggles that come with that in of the Latin entertainment industry. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm hearing you, and you're like, but I was on Salvador Gigante, and I was like all of this stuff. So what age were you when you realized, oh man, like this is going to be an issue?
0: The thing is that when you say that I was on Sabado Gigante, or when you talk about the things that I have done, you yeah. have to understand that if you look at the history, for example, of Salvador Gigante back then, I was the only one in 50 years on the show being on air who was an Afro-Latina stable on the channel. Mm-hmm. So it, it, a lot of people see take it as, but you were accepted and you did get this. Yes, but I had to push my way into uh, there. Mm-hmm. And there's millions of people that look like myself that don't get that opportunity till this day. So yes, I have done a lot of things, but I had to push my way to get to where I was. Did you know when you were little that you were doing that? Did you know? I didn't know that I was doing it, but I did know that I was different. I was always placed either in the middle or in the back. Because then I always kind of felt like like a bug in the middle of a cup of milk. Like they don't know where yeah. to place you. Mm. like. And we don't want to seem racist, so we have to have her. The one moment I do recall, and I will always be clear about, was I was getting my hair done backstage for the TV station. And the hairstylist told my mom... You need to perm her hair. You need to do something about her hair because her hair is unmanageable. Mm. We cannot deal with this. We don't have time for this. I remember my mom looking, her facial expression that moment, I was like about five, five or six. And I remember her looking at me and her face just told me everything. I still remember her face because it was just letting me know that this is the beginning of the struggle. Mm. You know, um, your hair isn't good enough. Your your skin is too dark. Your nose, your this, your, your your body. I used to feel very uncomfortable with my body. So I remember going through all these stages where I didn't feel good about myself because I just felt I didn't fit in. Till it took me to a point where I'm like, all right, that's it. Take it or leave it.
1: Yeah. So what, when, when was that revelation? Like how old were you? When did Amara La Negra become?
0: Amara La Negra. Yeah. I was like about <laughs> 17 when I realized like I can't. I, I, I always I always loved me because my mom always made sure to tell me from a very early age you're beautiful you're strong you're a queen your your skin is beautiful you're and she did always did tell me you're always gonna have to work twice as hard to be noticed for your work let's not get it twisted you know what I mean you're beautiful and everything but you're black you're gonna have to really put in that work so um it wasn't until like about the age of like 17 where I just really was just tired of trying to fit in like I don't want to do this anymore like
1: Was there an incident, and anything, that you were just like,
0: I'm done? I do remember a moment for my hair. Because everybody wants to know, oh, what happened with the hair? So (laughs) Dominicans are known for doing hair. Yes. My mom used to perm my hair, and I used to have straight hair for many, many years. I had straight hair. I did the braids. I did all types of stuff. Um, But then when I was in school, I was about 50. I was about 15, 16, and we had always spoken about Black History Month. And you always knew about the Martin Luther King's and the Malcolm X and all that stuff. But it wasn't until that age that I really understood their power and what they did and how they made a difference. And just getting to know more of their strength made me realize, why am I perming my hair again? Hmm. I don't know why. Like, to fit society's standards of beauty. So then I just stopped doing it. And then my hair fell off. Mm. Because once you start perming and putting all these products in your hair and you stop, automatically your hair is going to get thinner and it's going to fall off. So I went through a stage where my hair was very kind of short and then I started growing out the fro. And then for many years I I rocked my natural fro and it was great, but... With this lifestyle that I live, it's kind of hard to have a perfect Afro 24-7. So then it was my mom's idea. Okay, so how about if we start also adding extensions, like Afro extensions? And then you could still be yourself and still embrace it and still feel good. But, you
1: know, how you want to express yourself. Let's talk about this idea that Amar La Negra is too Latina to be black.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Her huge afro definitely plays a role in this discussion. She's been called out on social media for wearing an afro wig. People have accused her of lying about being black. This is other black people.
2: Yeah, and there was a couple months ago, there were all these videos on Twitter and on YouTube. Basically, people going at her saying that she was like faking the funk, that she was appropriating black culture.
0: I had been told that I do blackface. People on social media, for the most part, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that I do black phasers, videos on YouTube. I've had to let people touch me to prove, like, look, it's not coming off. Show baby pictures. Show baby videos. Um, I didn't get my nose done. Um, In my country, and like many others, we have a big... Mix. So having to go through that process really sucks. I've been told I take melanin shots to, you know,
1: be darker. I'm willing to take it and I'm willing to do it because it's more than just about me. But there's something about you that's confusing for some reason to people. I mean, I'm just like going to the breakfast club. (laughs) Ridiculousness that Uh, I watched.
2: What are you? Huh? Like race wise.
1: Oh, okay. What, what am I? <laughs> yeah, what are you? No. I, <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm Dominican. Well, born and raised in Miami. My parents okay. are Dominican. And um I am obviously an
2: Afro-Latina. So yes. So what is an Afro-Latina? I thought I thought that was half black, half something else. That's what I thought it was, too. Half I thought Latino. it was half black, half Latina. Well, the
0: thing is that how, how we see black here in the United States is different. You think black, you think African American. Right. See, for us in Dominican Republic, because we're all Dominican. You only have but to say you're black. I thought the didn't really What like you. are you? The question. What are you? Um, well, besides the fact that I'm human, uh, yeah. what I think that what what makes people feel some type of way is the fact that I rock an afro so it makes it, it makes me very black. Um, I am very black. But at the same time, I'm very Latina. I'm very cha-cha. And then that, that can be confusing only because of the fact that there is such a lack of representation of the Afro-Latino community that they don't understand it. They're like, wait, you're black? You speak Spanish? Say something. Mm-hmm. Like, even there, mm-hmm. I had to prove myself. Yes, you know, I come from a country where there's a lot of us um, <laughs> who just haven't seen us. So Yeah,
1: but they're in New York. I mean, I was really shocked by that. You were shocked by what? The way that at the breakfast club they reacted to you, you saying that you were Afro Latina is because why are you saying
0: that you're Afro Latina? You're Dominican. You're Dominican. You're, you're okay, we get it. You're Spanish. So why are you Afro Latina? Uh-huh. The way that the United States is set up if you are white, you're Caucasian. Boom. If you are black, you're African American. Boom. And if you're Latino, you're everything else. Yeah. You're in there. Right. It doesn't matter if you're Colombian, Venezuelan, Dominican, per- mm-hmm. you're Latino. Yeah. There's that confusion. We understand as black as being African-American and Latino as being everything else. So, and then with the Afro-Latina, then I just basically explained that because a lot of people seem to be confused and I don't get it because yeah, um, there isn't just black people in the United States. You do know that, right? Like in the rest of the world, in the map, there's more people. And there's more black people too. So that's that's really where the confusion comes in. Do you get that a lot? Having to explain it or yeah. what? Yeah, I, I do and I don't even feel bad. I feel more <laughs> the need to educate and give you my point of view and talk to you about my culture and where I come from. I'm willing to take it and I'm willing to do it because it's more than just about me. Mm-hmm. It's about It's about a whole community of people. It's about the new generation that's growing up that looks up to me because they don't have any representation and they don't have anybody to look up to, I at least had Celia Cruz. She was like everything to me. Azuga, I used to love her. She was everything. She was loud and, and she was, you know, her charisma, Her she was very humble. She was an amazing person. When she passed away, I was like, I, well, then if she's gone, then I'll never be able to be like her. There's nobody else that I can be like. So how must it feel for the new girls that are growing up that look like me and they automatically don't have anybody in their community. They have to look into the Beyonce's, the Nicki Minaj's, the and they're amazing,
1: mm-hmm. but they're not Latinas. Now, let's talk about what Amar La Negra said about being too black to be Latina.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, in 2016, a Dominican celebrity and former beauty queen, Heisha Montes de Oca, went on Spanish language TV, on the Spanish language TV show where they imitate other celebrities, and Geisha wore an afro wig, Uh-oh. dark brown face paint, so oh. she was in blackface. Mm. And she sang along to Amara's hit, I, which we heard earlier, and did a dance for the audience, who in turn, Jean, clapped and danced along to these racist shenanigans. Wow.
2: But that's what we're doing? We're doing doing blackface? Mm -hmm. That's what we're really doing? Okay. I'm sure the internet loved that.
1: Oh. (laughs) The internet went in. Keisha's defense was that, you know, race is different in the Dominican Republic. Hmm. And the internet did not buy that. Right. <laughs> she was ripped apart on her own Instagram. Um, she eventually deleted the post where she's dressed like Amara La Negra. Screen grabs. I got receipts. Oh, yeah. And you can find the receipts on the internet if you, if you do a little searching. You can find the video of her doing the dance and, and lip syncing to the song. Uh. Anyway, Amara told me she wanted her storyline on Love and Hip Hop Miami to really expose Latino racism and colorism. And that happens in the very first episode. She gets set up with this Miami producer. He's Puerto Rican. He goes by Young Hollywood. Of course he does. (laughs) They meet up to see if he can help her make, you know, this big break from the Latin to the American market, as she says. And the first thing he does, the first thing he does is suggest that she change up her look. Be more Beyonce and less Macy Gray, is what he tells her. Of course he did. Look more elegant.
0: So I can't be elegant if I have a fro? Is that
2: what you're saying? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I wish that every time somebody said some wild stuff about race, like every time you, you experienced a microaggression, they would score with that music.
1: <laughs> dun dun, dun dun, dun dun. <laughs> I totally agree. And by the way, Young Hollywood, the internet skewered him too. Of course it did. Um, he denied he was racist, obviously, and and said he didn't properly articulate what he meant to say. Of course, he did.
0: It was his natural reaction that instead of asking me about my music, what, what direction I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, he was too concerned about my hair. He was too concerned about my looks. Right, more that, Beyonce. Yeah, more Beyonce, less, less Macy Gray. Right.
1: Um, don't do, don't be you, and kind of copy somebody else so that you can succeed. The thing that I loved about your interaction with Young Hollywood, watching it, is that you were airing some really good, dirty laundry. Yes.
0: <laughs> and I'm going to put it and out there. And I
1: respect there. that Thank very, you. very much, <laughs> I would like yeah, to Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm going to put it out there. Look. I know that nobody wants to talk about it, but we suffer a lot of racism. We suffer a lot of colorism amongst ourselves. You know, we'll say it all the time. If you want to argue with me, the first thing they'll say is, la negra esa, the black this, or the that black da-da-da. You know, um, it's always like as if calling yes. me black is offensive or it should offend me some type of way or make me feel, you know, inferior. You know, I get it all the time. Oh, whenever you get married, don't get married to no black man because you need to better the race. You don't want nappy hair. You don't want a big nose-baked lips you don't want so it's just that self-hate that's been taught and has been uh you know put generation through generations that it's just awful somebody somebody needs to say something <laughs> like are we just gonna keep hearing
1: it and not do anything about it I mean because a lot of this was your crossover the Latin market to the American market do you think it's worse than the Latin market of course yeah, yeah, it's definitely worse. That's, that's not even a question. <laughs> that is the truth. It is definitely worse. I feel that in
0: the United States, you because the African Americans really stepped their ground and really st- stood. Firm for, for their rights, they have a bigger platform to promote themselves. Like, for example, you'll see African Americans in movies in TVs, in in this, in that, and TVs and commercials mm-hmm. and this and that. And then it gives you the opportunity to see versatility as far as shades. In the Latino community, you don't. Movies, novelas, you know, soap operas, magazine covers, um, commercials, whatever the case may be, you barely ever, Ever see people that look like myself? And there's people like me in every Latin country. So it's like you're talking to the Latino community, but why aren't you talking to people that look like me? What's the problem with me? Why am I not a good? I'm, I'm not a good representation of what a Latino or a la Latina should look like.
1: So I know Amara La Negra is talking about all these race issues in a really disarming and funny way, mm-hmm. but. The impact, not only of the lack of representation in the media, but the outright racism that Afro-Latinx folks face, that's serious.
2: Right. I mean, y'all might remember we talked about weathering on the show a couple months ago. Um, And that term was coined by a public health researcher named Arlene Geronimus. And she coined that term to talk about sort of the effects of everyday racism, that like background radiation of racism and how it erodes the health and well-being of black Americans.
1: Now, the Centers for Disease Control published findings that show Latinx folks in the U.S. are actually generally healthier than white Americans, Hmm. despite risk factors like high poverty and less access to healthcare. But, and this is a big but, very few studies have been done on Afro-Latinx folks specifically because we tend to, you know, lump all Latinx people into the same category despite race.
2: So we don't know. We don't have a good sense of what the particular challenges are for Afro-Latino people.
1: Right. And, you know, before anyone says, oh, there's a box on the census that you can check for your race after you check that you're Hispanic or Latino, Spanish origin. Yes, that's true. But for Afro-Latinx people, that doesn't work very well because, you know, in Latin America, there are various categories for color, um, but those don't exist in the U.S. and Black is often synonymous with African-American. So it's really tricky. And people don't check those boxes the way you think they might.
2: Right. So there was this Pew study where Mm Afro-Latinos were asked directly about their race. And 18% said they were black. 39% said they were white alone or white in combination with another race. And 24% said their race was just Hispanic or Latino.
1: Which we know is not actually considered a race. Right. It's an ethnicity. All that to say, like you said, it's really hard to do targeted research and disaggregate data for the Afro-Latinx community. Um, I called up a social scientist who works in the Department of Community Health at Tufts University to talk about this. His name is Dr. Adolfo Cuevas. He's Afro-Dominican. He grew up in Washington Heights in New York City, and he studies race and Latinx health outcomes. And he calls those findings about, you know, Latinx folks being healthier than white Americans despite so many obstacles, he calls that the Latino paradox. Mm. And he's trying to find out if the Latino paradox is actually a thing if you're Afro-Latinx. Are you familiar with Amara La Negra?
3: You know, I <laughs> am because there was a Power 105 <laughs> discussion The Breakfast she Club had. thing. Yes, yes. And I was rooting for her when, when I listened to her really uh, stick up, not just stick up, but also have this really strong argument for why we have to acknowledge Afro-Latinas and Afro-Latinos in the discourse of blackness. It, and you've—I'm sure you've heard this before—you know things like good hair, bad hair within the Latino community, oh, yeah. and how the darker skin are often called ugly or not good-looking or as attractive as their white counterparts or lighter skin counterparts. Mm-hmm. And and it's something that people walk with them. It's embodied um, in their day-to-day lives, and it's not something that you could let go easily.
1: Is there data around that? How is this affecting? Afro-Latinos who are living, I don't know, in Latin America or in the United States?
3: There's emerging research. So when we started uh, doing this kind of research, not surprisingly, there, there was very few studies um, kind of examining this issue of race and skin color among Latinos, Latinas. But the few that we found kind of shows that race plays a significant influence on Latino, Latina health. Mm-hmm. Uh, For example, black Latinos are much more likely to have hypertension. They have greater odds of reporting poor health. They have greater body mass index. They have higher levels of depressive symptoms compared to their white counterparts. And one study actually shows that uh, Afro-Latinos actually may engage in more menthol cigarette consumption compared to their white counterparts. We know that darker skin... Uh, Latinos in Latin America have poor health compared to lighter skinned Latinos. And when they immigrate to the United States and experience new forms of discrimination, uh, both interpersonally and institutionally, how Is their health profile different from white Latinos within the context of the Latino paradox is a a question that remains to be explored. So
1: you're going to figure that out.
3: That's our goal. Uh, (laughs) We're we're doing we're doing quite a bit of uh, research in New York City. So this is kind of like coming full circle here. I am now um, doing research in Washington Heights uh, where we're interviewing uh, Dominican, Dominican Americans and asking them questions about skin color socially assigned race, discrimination, and health outcomes. Mm-hmm. A, a quick teaser, what we're finding is that a lot of Dominicans, darker skin. when, when I interview them, they're darker skinned than me. I, I would say I am dark brown, but they would rate their skin color lighter than, than what I would rate it, mm-hmm. And they're less likely to identify as black more likely to identify as Afro-Latino. Hmm. Um, and But those who identify as black have poor health compared to those who identify as Afro-Latino. It, oh. it's, a, it's a very um, complex question that we're still trying to grapple with.
1: Are you also finding that those who identify as black are maybe second generation and that those who identify as Afro-Latino are, are Im- either immigrants themselves or maybe first generation?
3: Latinos who are more likely to identify as black are those who are younger than the age of 25. Mm-hmm. Their identity, their racial identity is being shaped in such an early age. and, and this movement of, you, know, appreciating your black identity and your Africanness um, is really shaping a uh, younger generation of, of Dominicans.
1: But yet you're saying that the health outcomes are worse if they identify with being black.
3: Right, because perhaps they're more likely to, you know, perceive now more uh, discrimination. You know, it's kind of like biting the apple. Mm -hmm. Now that you identify strongly or or just simply identify as black, you're beginning to look around you and and identify some of the injustice that not only Latinos, but Afro-Latinos experience in, in the United States.
1: Big, big thanks to Adolfo Cuevas for talking about his work with us. Obviously, Gene, there's so much more research that needs to happen to determine the physical and psychological effects of racism on the health of Afro-Latinx people mm-hmm. in the United States.
2: Right. And it'll be interesting to see like what the long-term economic outlooks are for um, people who identify as Afro-Latinx.
1: I agree. Social scientists get to work.
2: Yeah. Economists. Dr. Cuevas, we're going to be following you at the Soco, Psychosocial Determinants of Health Lab at Tufts.
1: <laughs> Say that again.
2: Psychosocial determinants of health lab itself. Psychosocial determinants of health lab <laughs> itself. Psychosocial determinants of health. All right all right. all right, all
1: right. Back to uh, Amala Negra. Um, she definitely thinks more positive media representation can help with all this. She just signed a big record deal. Oh. She's got a doll collection in the works. Oh. Um, she told me she's working on some TV and film projects. And. She just dropped her new crossover single, Insecure.
0: You say I'm
1: lookin' crazy. Said I've been trippin' lately.
0: I wanna know, baby. Does that make me
1: insecure? Me, I'm more. That's the song giving us life this week.
2: And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We want to hear from you, as always. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed.
1: Sammy Yenigan, Leah Danella, and I produced this episode. Woo. It was edited by Sammy Yenigan.
2: Shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam. Steve Drummond, Karen Grigby-Bates, Walter Ray Watson, Adrian Florido, Maria Paz
1: Gutierrez, and Kat Chow. Our intern is Kumari Devarajan. Hey Dave, I'm Jean Dumby. <laughs> and I'm Shireen Marisol Miraji. Be easy. Pass. Is there anything you're, that I'm missing that you want to say?
0: Mommy! Mommy, I love you so much. Thank you. I can't wait to go home and give you a hug. I miss you so much. Okay. <laughs> when Cece Wong met his mom's new tenant, he never suspected he'd end up getting replaced as a son or that his replacement might have sinister motives. This week, Invisibilia looks at the things we don't say to our loved ones
1: and the misunderstandings it can lead to. Listen on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts.